Amen. Always, always happy to give the Lord a clap offering. Amen. You may be seated this morning. God bless you. Thank you so much. The musicians have worked hard. I, you, we're working on stuff that you guys might not see sometimes. For example, we're changing the speaker directions around so that we can get the sound fuller but not louder. Now, it might be louder to you today because we're discovering and trying to figure out how to do things. Give us some time. We're going to get this thing dialed in. Amen. And we got a lot of great things that are happening in the background that we'll be announcing to you soon. Amen. A lot of great things. It is good to see you guys today. I want to talk to you today a sermon the Lord spoke to my heart about this week as I was praying. And I don't know, I believe it affects all of us. Some of you, though, specifically today. I just felt the Holy Spirit tell me today was the day to minister this. I want to talk to you about forgiving from the heart. Forgiving from the heart. And, and what do you do in your life when things don't go the way you think they ought to go? What do you do? Now, better yet, what do you do when things don't go the way you expected them to go? And things that you didn't plan for it to be that way. And maybe you just didn't even want it to be that way. And yet it's that way. What do you do? What do you do during those times? I can tell you this, whenever you're going through a lot of stress and a lot of concern, that's really a time you need to be very careful about making decisions. You need to be careful if you make decisions during times of pain. Because when you're in pain, when you're struggling, when your heart is wounded, your decision-making processes become impaired. And your decisions that you make during that time... Any decision you make any time can change the entire direction of your life and can take you towards victory or towards a complete derailment. And so when you're in a time of pain, there really is, and that's what I want to bring to you today, a battle going on for your heart. And, and so when, there's, when that pain happens to you, whether it's uh, financial pain, uh, emotional pain, relational pain, whatever kind it is, those offenses, when you're, when you're struggling with those things, and you have misunderstandings and things are getting twisted up really bad. Sometime I'll preach to you about the old Leviathan spirit and how it twists up things. But when that's happening, to make a decision during that time is very, very, very dangerous. You need to be very careful. Now, there's always two choices when you're in pain and you have to make a decision. When, you, when, you're, when it's on, you've got to do it. Either you're going to press into love or you're going to distance yourself from love. You're going to press into it or distance from love. When you distance yourself rather than press into love, here's what's going to take the place, fear. Fear will begin to reign in your heart. I'm going to explain all that to you as we go. At that moment, you'll become fear-based, and, and the Bible will be, start to sound like CNN. And, yeah. <laughs> that was really bad, really bad, really bad. So... I'm going to examine two men in Scripture that you're very, very familiar with. Most of you know their stories, and that's why I've chose them, because I just want to use their stories. But they're, both of them are making decisions during the time of pain in their life. They both have to do it. Now, one man's decision is going to completely derail him for the rest of his life. The other man is going to make quality decisions that's going to set him on point for the rest of his life. One man is going to pull away from love, and it's going to release fear, and that fear is going to push him down a path. The other man is going to press into love, and that's going to cause him to make wise decisions. The second man, not the first man, the second guy I'm going to talk about today is a guy that we all know. His name is Joseph. 
And Joseph made very quality decisions in his life, even during extreme pain. The first guy that I want to talk to you about, though, as I build into Joseph, is a fellow that we all know by the name of Absalom. Now, Absalom in his life was a life full of all kinds of pain, and he handled every situation of it wrong. He made wrong decisions. His decisions completely derailed him from his God-given future, heritage, and everything else. He, he made a lot of mistakes. He did not make good mistakes. And when we talk about Absalom, usually the first thing church folks, if you've, if you've been around the Word of God at all and you've read much of his story, the first thing you think of is a rebellious man, a, a man of rebellion. He's rebelling. But, you know, if you really go back and just be a little bit honest with yourself, and you look at what happened to this guy's life and the context of why he acted the way he acted, you might have a little bit more understanding of where he's coming from. And you might have a little more empathy, a little more. But when you realize that what happened to him uh, could have happened to really anybody, and it, you probably would have felt the same emotions he felt. So let me give you a little bit of the setting. Let me help you understand Absalom, especially those that are newer Christians. Absalom was a a son of King David. He was one of King David's sons. And he was a young man, and David had several wives, okay? So he, he was the son of one of the wives, but he had a brother who was a son of an, one of the other wives, and that brother's name was Amnon. And Amnon raped his sister, Tamar. Now, Tamar is from the same mother that Absalom's from, so that's his true, full-blooded sister, Amnon is like a, you know, he's in the family, but he's like half. And so all of a sudden, Absalom's side of the family, his mother, his sister, him, their side of the family is rocked by this. The daughter just got raped. Now, now you, you, you have to understand. So Amnon, I, you, I want you to understand, Amnon and Absalom have different mothers, same dad, okay? Absalom and Tamar have the same mom, but Amnon does not. Amnon, the half-brother, rapes Tamar. Is everybody following so far? Okay, so Absalom is now filled with turmoil. He goes home, his mother's talking about it, his sister's weeping and crying over what's happened. There's a lot of pain. And they go and they tell King David what's happened. King David becomes very angry, very upset. How many of you know that's the normal response of a father when your daughter gets raped? Okay, and so he's very upset. But the thing is, that's kind of unusual, he does nothing about it. David does nothing about it. And so they, they talk to David. David doesn't respond. So Absalom is sitting there. He's thinking, Dad, what's going on here? You know, what's happening? And, and it gets worse and worse. And as Absalom watches his dad, David, do nothing, the more his heart begins to cry for justice. We need justice here. That's not fair. It's not right. Dad should do something. Where's Dad in a time like this? And his war cry becomes these words, that isn't fair. It just isn't fair. It's not fair. That's his war cry. So the only wound that carries more pain, perhaps, than your own personal offense is when a wound happens to somebody that you love very much like one of your sons or daughters. When it happens to somebody that's in your close family, that wound can be even more painful than your own wound. When you watch your daughter go through something horrible like this, you, you feel it at a different level of pain. And so, so this is what's happening to Absalom. He, he can't believe that his father is not reacting. And there he is. His sister's raped. His, his mother is there crying. It, it's a mess. And so, so Absalom takes up offense now. He's upset about what's happened to his sister. Bitterness begins to fill his heart, not only towards his brother, but towards his dad. 
He's upset with his dad. He, 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 his contempt is there, and he's, he's frustrated. And when bitterness comes into a family line, all peace and hope and joy go out. And so now all of a sudden there's no hope there. Dad's not going to do anything anyway. Absolutely, you know, Amnon got away with it, and he shouldn't have got away with it. It's wrong. He's going to do it again to somebody else. It's not fair. And, and so Absalom finally, I'm going to hurry the story up a little bit, kills Amnon. He said, I'll put a stop to it. I'll kill my brother. And he kills him, just kills him. And then he gets up, the Bible says, and he exiles himself from his family because now he fears his father, David, might bring repercussion. Uh, re uh, what's the word? Might attack him. Repercussion. There's the word I'm looking for. Repercussion on him. Okay? And he fears that. So here's, here's listen carefully. Because he's now fearful, he doesn't know what his dad's going to do. His dad did nothing. But now his dad might do something. He doesn't know where his dad's at anymore. So he goes, listen carefully, he goes to live in another king's kingdom. Okay? He basically trades kings. He trades fathers. He lives disconnected now from his blood father, David. Disconnection is always evidence of an offense. Let me say it again. When you disconnect... If I find people that say they're disconnected, it's always evidence to me that somewhere in that whole story, there's great offense. There's great offense in the story. So i got to find that offense because that offense is what's causing the bitterness, which is causing the fear, which is causing somebody to leave the story. Are you following me? Okay, track with me a little bit. So finally, after a season of time, David's personal assistant, a guy by the name of Joab, gets involved. And he, he coerces David, King David, and says, you really need to welcome Absalom to come back home. So Absalom returns. In the reception, David actually forgives Absalom for all that's happened. For, imagine this now. You're forgiving your one son for murdering your other son. Think about it. That's what happened. It's kind of a strange little thing. But he, he, he forgave him. I, I, how many of you know that'd be tough? Forgive your son for murdering your other son. But they did, he did it. Now, this time, by the time he forgives them, it's 40 years have gone by. That's a long time. It's not like you read the Bible, you, know, you turn a page and you think it just happened. No, this is 40 years that Absalom has been living with another king, struggling with these feelings about his dad, having a hard time. He doesn't, for, he doesn't forgive. He's not forgiving his dad. And, it, and, and now his dad's going to forgive him. It's a little bit too much too late or too little too late. You know, he, he, it's, it's off. So if you go into the story in 2 Samuel, the 15th chapter, you're going to find that Absalom assembles this treasonous, mutinous idea. And he rises against his own father. Now, this is where the rebellion, this is what we know him for. Okay. This is why we call him rebellious. But, but really, Listen carefully. I want you to hear what's happening. He's gone through all of this. He's disconnected. He's living with another king in another kingdom. And now he comes back to this king. And watch what he does. He judges him. He judges him. Now we have a man that's judging the king. And so the Bible says that he goes and he sits in the gates of the city. Now the gates of the city would be where you're... Oh, your city council, your, your governors, your judges, and all those people are there. This is where you go to have court. This is where court would be held. And so it's a place of authority in a city. It's a, it's these, so, so these people are coming to the courthouse. And as they're coming to the courthouse, Absalom is there to meet them. I want to read that to you, 2 Samuel 15, verse 2. 
Now Absalom would rise up early and stand beside the way of the gate. So it was whenever, whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe in Israel. Let me just, so they're going to see David, but before they get there, he catches them outside. And he pulls them to the side. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me. Then I would give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, they would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Are you watching? So they're going to see the king. He catches them ahead of time, feeds them a little line that nobody really cares about you. But I would, if I was you, you coming to me, I'd bless you. And he even kisses him and he undermines his father and the bitterness continues to grow. Do you know how you can discover if you have a root of bitterness? Do you know how you can discover? It's when you give yourself permission to judge somebody else. The moment you give yourself permission to judge them, well, they're Navajo. Well, they're Mexican. Well, they're, they're bald. Mm, better be careful on that bald one. I got sheer be- she bears. If you don't know your Bible, you can catch up on it later. They, they, they mocked an old bald guy, and he called she bears out and ate them. Amen. So anyway, whenever you give yourself permission to judge someone, when you give yourself permission, listen carefully, to present your case to other people to win their hearts to your way of thinking without the king being there. Let me say that again. Somebody does you wrong, okay? And so you find people when that somebody's not around and you present your case and you try to win these people to your side of the case, you judge that person, you win them to your side, and that person wasn't involved at all in the setting. When you do that, it's evidence of a root of bitterness that's working in your life. And out of your mouth is coming judgments. So when somebody is in that mode, whenever anybody's in that mode of operandi, then what happens is you always make yourself look like a victim. You make yourself look like the victim. Man, you guys, I want to tell you, uh, Bob just did me wrong. I'm telling you, he screwed my car up. And man, 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 man. And actually, all I did is work on it, right? Got it right. I'm the one that screwed it up by running into the curb. You see what I'm saying? But I make myself the victim. I wouldn't run into the curb if it wasn't for Bob. Yeah, and, and so, so I'm, are you, you see what I'm saying? And I, and, I, and I work it this way, okay? So we justify our actions by placing the focus. The judge, he didn't do right. Uh, uh, Amnon had done wrong. There was a lot of wrong in this thing. But now, rather than approaching that properly, he's approached it and bitterness has defiled him. And now he's judging. And now he's turning it to a place of division. We're going to separate people from people because I'm going to tell you, that preacher did me wrong, and so this is what we're going to so, so we, we don't hear, hear carefully now. We don't uh, allow mercy, there's a big word, mercy. mercy. Mercy means you didn't get what you deserved. I gave you mercy. You deserved death, but I gave you mercy, right? You, instead of, when you give mercy to somebody, it will disconnect you from your past. 
But when you don't give mercy and you give judgment, it will divide your future. Is that a little deep? I want you just to think about that for a minute. Few people, very few people that I've ever talked to would tell me that intentionally they're getting up, they're going to go over to somebody's house, and their intention is to divide their relationship. I'm going to go over there and ruin their marriage. I'm going to go over there and ruin their, their, fridge, their, their, their relationship with their kids. I'm going to go over there and destroy their Very few people would ever say that to me. Very few. What actually happens is this. We switch kingdoms. Oh, okay. We choose to partner with another spirit. And with the enemy spirit of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven would always be one that would extend mercy and love. But rather than mercy and love, we begin to bring judgment and bitterness, and it releases a fear in our heart that people might find out the truth. So we, amen. So we keep digging the hole deeper and deeper. And am I preaching okay? Just want to make sure you're very quiet. I don't know what's happening in here. So, what tool is it? Here's a question What tool do you use in your life to move forward? Do you use tools that, that try to disconnect you from your past and try to get rid of your past and try to bury your past? Is, is that the tool you use or do you use mercy? Which tool do you use? Mercy or justice? There's, there's the only tools you're going to get to use. Really, it's the only two. When somebody does you wrong and when there's a lot of ugly stuff, you get one of two choices. This is really what I want you to learn today. You get to extend mercy or you get to ex- are you going to extend judgment, uh, justice? If you extend justice, you're following the path of Absalom. Okay, you're going down that. If you extend mercy, you're following the path of Christ. Amen. So, so when when we don't allow mercy to for, to disconnect our past, then here comes resentment. Here comes division. Here comes fear, and all of these things that try to divide our future. Let me give you some stories. I'm going I'm to help you with this. Is it a little warm in here to use just me? It's pretty warm in here. Let's turn it down to like 66 instead of 75. Maybe it's just good preaching that's making hell get warmer. Could be. Matthew verse 18. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And as he's talking to his disciples, there's some other people that are listening to him. And so he lays out a very interesting scenario that I want you to hear today as we're talking about forgiveness. We're talking about your heart. How are you gonna, how's your heart going to respond in this? So he says, now listen, he says, there's this man, and he's in prison, and he can't pay his taxes. He can't pay his debt. Stop for a minute. Does that make any sense to you? If a man is, owes you something, put him in prison so he can't work? See, it doesn't make no sense. It starts off wrong. Why would you put a man in prison if he owes you money? He can't work. He can't pay you back. But that's what Jesus says. He's been put in prison. He can't work, and he can't pay up. This man, if in today's economy, actually owes the equivalent of a billion dollars. That's not a debt that you can easily repay while you're in prison, making 50 cents a day, okay? Especially, you hear what I'm saying? So he owes a lot of money. So the king, the Bible says decides to extend mercy mercy he says you'll never be able to pay back this debt i'm going to forgive you of it i'm going to let you go he forgives him of a billion dollar debt how many of you know when you get forgiven of a billion dollars you do the happy dance 
That brother did the happy dance, man. I can only do one of them. I'll spring, I'll spring a ligament. He does the happy dance all the way down the street. Now, as he's going down the street doing the happy dance, he spots another guy who owes him $10. Only $10. But he demands the $10 from the man. Demands it. You're going to give me back that $10, bless God, or I'll put you in prison. Okay? Well, one of the king's servants hears all that's going on. He runs back to the king and he says, you know that guy you just forgave a billion dollars? He's got a guy in a chokehold out there on the street. He's got the cops around. He's going to put him in prison over $10. Let me read it to you in the Message Bible just because it's fun. It brings out a really good little statement I like to, to, to emphasize to you. Uh, Matthew 18. It says, the king summoned the man, this guy that is blowing it, and said, you evil servant. I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you uh, have been compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was furious, and I like these next words, and put the screws to the man. <laughs> That's why I chose this passage. <laughs> Until he paid back the entire debt. And here's what Jesus said, and that's exactly what my Father in heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. Hmm. The Bible, another way it says, it turns you over to the tormentors. Okay, and so it's, it's, it's a rough thing. Now, don't raise your hand. Don't nobody raise your hand. Don't look straight forward so nobody will know this is time for true confessions. How many of you have ever walked with a little bit of unforgiveness in your life? Yeah, uh-huh. When you're with unforgiveness, you actually are releasing a steady flow of toxins into your spirit. You're on a poison drip is what you're on. And, 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 and you're saturating your mind, your spirit, your body. So, so you know, you get caught up in the stupidest things. Like, like let's say an a, a African-American man does you wrong. So from that point on, you, all African-American men are, are no good. Or Hispanic or whatever. You start to have these weird ideas. And these flows come into your body. And anxiety comes into your spirit. And, and, and all the, studies show that 60% of people in hospitals are there due to anxiety-related illnesses. 60%. So understand this, the tormentors, the Bible talks about these tormentors that put the screws to you. These, things, these spirits come down and they partner inside of your body, inside of your heart, inside of your life. And all of a sudden you start having anxiety every time you see a black man, a white man, a brown man, a rich man, or whatever, a church goer. You see somebody with a cross, somebody with a whatever. You, these, these, this fear grips your heart. This bitterness sometimes, this contentment, this, this anger, and all of a sudden you feel like judging them. And you, you want to grab everybody to your side and look at that guy. And you, you start wanting to talk about him and make yourself a victim and bring judgment. All of these things are because of the pain that's in your heart. Are you with me so far? So, so, so two desires rise up. Two things are going to happen to you when this happens. Okay, when these, One of them, when you look at somebody, you're going to want judgment. You're going to want fairness. That's wrong, and I want it to be made right. Bless God. That's one of the emotions you can do, choose. The other one you can choose is, I'm going to extend mercy. I'm going to extend there's no other. There's no other choices. Those are the two choices that you get in the Word of God. So in pain, hey, I, I'm preaching really good right now, Don. We tend to become numb to the voice of the Spirit of God. In pain, 
That's why I was warning you earlier. When you're in a wound like that, be very careful that you don't make quick decisions. Don't make bad decisions. If you're, if you're, if you're feeling these emotions, I, I just can't find mercy. I just get on your knees and let the Holy Spirit get a hold of your heart. Because if you make a decision wrong, it will release a spirit of judgment into your life. You'll go around judging your ex forever. Oh, yes, you will. As if they're going anywhere. That's still the mama of your kids. Amen. That's still the daddy of your children. And so you're carrying this thing. You're married to the fifth guy. but you're... I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm telling you, this stuff, I sit across the desk. I've got the doctrine in it. I understand it. It starts to follow you, and this judgment begins to reign in a person's heart. And every time you see the other person, you just want to spit fire. You just want to. You want to. You just don't want to be around them. Every time they open their mouth, and oh, you just don't. The sound of their voice because you want justice. You want fairness. You have an Absalom spirit. Okay. Here's the horrible twist. Here's the horrible twist of it. You're all, and it didn't bother them at all. I want everybody in here right now, right now, as best you can, be as bitter towards me as you can. Be bitter. It's not hurting me. (laughs) You're not affecting me. Yeah. It doesn't have any effect on me when you're bitter towards me. But the Bible says, for with what judgment you judge, you're going to be judged. And with what measure you use, it's going to be measured back to you. Amen. So I call that the boomerang principle. You just don't want to be around them no more. You try to throw them away, and it comes back and smacks you right in your head. Okay? Here it is. And you end up being as ugly as they ever was, if not more, because the only way you can win a fight is to hurt the other person more. Amen. And so here you are walking around trying to be Mr. Religious or Mrs. Religious, and you're as ugly as they come. Amen. Don't be mad at me. I'm just trying to help you today. Well, I'm judging this sermon right now. (laughs) Listen, when you let this spirit get inside of you, hear me. When you let it get inside, it doesn't like stay in just that one little relationship. You're mad at Billy Bob because he took your job. It doesn't stay there. It goes all over you. That judgment comes into your finances. It comes into your health. That's why people are in the hospitals. That's why people are suffering financially, paycheck to pay. It comes into your entire life. You gave those spirits permission to come, put the screws to you, and to torment you. Now, on the outside, you've got on the garments of heaven, man. You've got on the garments of praise. But underneath, you've got on the king, another kingdom's robes. How can you stand as a representative of the king of heaven when you're wearing the undergarments of another king, king bitterness, king fear, king justice, king fairness? See, you, amen. Now, now, are you guys beat up good enough? Can I move on? I can keep drill. I can keep putting the screws to you. <laughs> Let's talk about what to do during times of pain. What to do. Now, Joseph and his brothers, you really ought to read the story. I know most of you have, but Genesis 42 to 45 is just a great study. I could spend years studying just those chapters. But Joseph's brothers, let's go back in his life. He's young. His brothers have this scheme to kill him. Now, he's the chosen one. The father has chosen him. At this time that his brothers sell him into slavery, his younger brother, Benjamin, hasn't even been born yet. 
And so at this time, he's definitely the favored son. Amen. <laughs> uh, if you have more than one or two sisters or brothers, you know which one was favored by mom and dad. They'll never, say, they'll never admit it, but it was true. Don't tell my mom. How many, <laughs> how many know that God places favor on people? He does. Okay, we talked about it a little bit Wednesday night. How many realize God's favor always stirs up the kingdom of darkness? If you got favor, you become a target. Okay? And so that's exactly what happens in Joseph's life. His brothers are envious, they're jealous, they're mad, they become bitter, and they want to separate him, throw him away forever. But remember the boomerang effect, he'll be back. Okay? But they're divisive, they're trying to get rid of him. And so they sell him into slavery. All that, even though he's sold into slavery, does not change the fact that God's favor's on him. You can put him in Egypt, you can put him in Philippines, you can put him on the Navajo Reservation, or even the Hopis. And favor will follow him. Favor will follow, because God placed the favor there. It's not disappearing. Amen. Okay, so, so through a series of events, uh, we're hurrying the story up. He, he goes through all these processes of life. He ends up in the palace as the second most powerful guy right underneath Pharaoh, governor of the land, over all the food uh, distribution and storage houses, and famine has come to the land. And his brothers are now forced to come to Egypt for food. His brothers are vulnerable because when they come, Joseph doesn't look anything like he looked when he sold them into slavery. Nothing. First of all, he would have been dressed up in all kinds of Egyptian makeup and attire. They would have never recognized him. So they're vulnerable because they have no idea. Joseph is very, very powerful at this time. Joseph has all authority. Joseph can have them put to death on the spot. His brothers have no idea who they're standing in front of. They don't recognize him. But the Bible says Joseph recognized them. When, now, listen, when you recognize something, let's say that I'm going to pick on Bob again. Bob has done something wrong to me, really wrong. He's really offended me bad, hurt me bad. And he's, we've been apart for 15 years, and we bump into each other in the mall, and I recognize him. All those emotions come right back. I remember everything Bob did to me, everything Bob said about me. Every, uh, how my, I remember the feelings. I remember the pain. I remember the rejection. All I had to do was see Bob's little white hair, and it came back. <laughs> Bob's, Bob's feeling a little judgment right now. <laughs> he remembers all of it, okay? Now, listen, here's something important to notice that we sometimes read over. Joseph is the most powerful man in the, in the courts. He's the strongest guy around. And none of the people of the court had any idea that he even had brothers and what his brothers had done. In other words, most of us, when we're wounded, at least tell those around us what happened. We want to tell our story. Joseph never told the story. Joseph would not make himself be a victim. Joseph would not paint them in judgment. Joseph would not paint them and I look for justice. Joseph told no one because it, he, he was going to operate in mercy, not in judgment. Hear me now. And, he, and in fact, he protects his offenders. There they are. He has to choke back the tears. He goes out of the room and recomposes himself because the pain was so real. He still felt everything. He re-enters the room and the Bible says he reveals himself to his brothers. 
In other words, he tells everybody to go out of the court. Come here, boys. I'm going to show you something. He pulls up his robe, and he reveals that he's circumcised. He shows them his privates, okay? Because only Hebrews would do that, never Egyptians. So this is proof of who he is and that he's a part of, he's an Egyptian. That he's proven it. Okay, listen, let's bring it to I don't want you guys pulling your pants down. Listen very carefully. Listen very carefully. Let's bring it to American standards here, okay? What I'm trying to say is they revealed their hearts. He revealed his heart. There comes a place where you don't attack them, you reveal yourself. So Bob did me wrong. I don't even talk about the wrongs. I talk about, let me reveal who I am. Bob, I'm a man that's had a lot of changes. And God has touched my heart. And I know we've had some things, but I tell you what, I love you, brother. I respect you. I honor you. That's what this man did right in front of him. Amen. During the very moment that he's having these great pains and these memories that are hurting his life, what does he do? He doesn't push away. Come close so I can reveal myself to you. Come close. We're, uh, let me get everybody else away so it's just me and you, and I want to reveal. He does not distance himself. He pulls closer. Whew. This is tough. This is tough right here. You can either do like Absalom and vomit your mouth all over everybody else and try to bring yourself as high as them or bring them as low as you or however you want to look at it. You can go that direction and try to say that wasn't fair, it wasn't just, my dad didn't do right, my brother killed my, raped my sister, blah, 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 blah. Or you can do like Joseph and press into love. You have that choice. Jesus never pushed people away, even those that he gave his life for. Okay, he created them, and they were going to kill him. That's pretty unfair. He gave them a, wor a world to live on, gave them food, gave them water, gave them light, gave them gravity. Without gravity, we'd all be in Martians. He gave them everything, and they're going to kill him. That's pretty unfair. But what did Jesus do? He pressed into love. He pressed into mercy. He drew closer to people. And Joseph's favor had put him in a place of power where it would have been really easy to got, get fair. It would have been really easy to ex extend just, uh, justice. It would have been really easy to go there. But he did not do that. He, I, I want you to hear this. Instead, he uses his power for mercy. He uses, see, listen to me. I know Bob did me wrong or somebody did you wrong. But I have the choice. Not Bob. I have the choice. Yeah. Am I going to give mercy? Yeah. Well, he'll make you look weak. I don't care if I look weak. That's not what I'm dealing with. I'm trying to get the screws off me. I don't care if what, what everybody else is thinking. This is between me and God and them tormentors out there. Right? I'm trying to get my life squared away. And I get the choice. Do I give mercy or do I still say, well, that wasn't right? See, and you can't do both. You can't say, well, I'm going to give mercy, but it wasn't right. No, no. You can't be a 50-50 sickle on this one. Amen. He presses into him. He reconciles. And he uses his power to bless and to cherish his brothers. Even though, I, I imagine if they'd have had the opportunity right there, they'd have put the screws to him again because that's who they were. But it wasn't who he was. It doesn't matter who they are. It matters who you are. It, we're not talking about them. We're talking about you. 
They're always going to do it. They're always going to put the screws to you. They're always going to attack you. Excuse my terminology. I'm just trying to get you to understand. They're always going to do those things. They're always going to say hateful things. Every time you drive up to the house, here it comes again. You get a choice. What are you going to do? The Bible says that these tormentors come if you haven't forgiven unconditionally. That means there's no conditions. Well, I'll forgive you if. No, No ifs. I forgive you. I use my mouth now to protect you when you don't even know I'm protecting you. Other people are talking about you. You're, you're, let's, I'm going to try to get a little bit more personal help. You've got an ex that's done you bad. Okay, It's real easy to go away and talk about the ex. Or you can say, you know what? We had some tough times, but they're really a good person. You married them. Somewhere along the line, you thought they were a good person. that'll preach right there that'll preach right there that's my sermon right there (laughs) you can spew divisive words or you can spew words of blessing I thank God for them I have beautiful children I thank God for them amen amen You get to choose the language that comes out of your little mouth. It's either going to be Joseph language or Absalom language. There's no in-betweens. You get that every day. You get that every day. You can do that with your employers, your employees. You can do it with your, the people that you're around. You can do it with your preacher. With the preacher, it's always mercy. Everybody say, it's always mercy. <laughs> okay, you get, you get those choices, okay? We all get those choices. So mercy moves us towards a heart of honor. Are we all right today? It, it, honor creates a place for reconciliation to happen. Joseph believed. I want you to hear this. I'm about to wrap it up here. There's no one that can steal anything from him that God could not replace. Nobody can steal anything from me that God cannot replace. Joseph believed that nobody else gets to choose his life. And I want to challenge you. Nobody else gets to choose your life. If you choose mercy, there's a a beautiful thing that happens in your world. Your world will go right into line with your destiny. God's future will be bright. But if you choose justice, I'm promising you, your world's coming into division and hatefulness and ugly things. And you're going to get the screws put to you. So I'm, I'm challenging you. Joseph believed his God had an answer for every situation it was. He didn't focus on his brothers. He focused on the bigness and the greatness of God rather than the railing and the failing of men. Amen. I'm going to tell you one story and then I'll be done. Is that right? He's counseling a guy who had lost his wife. And pretty much the reason he lost his wife is because of his anger. And, and all of it, he just was harsh. Always harsh, always demanding, always, you know, thought of himself higher than he should have, I guess, if you will. And in the event of it, she had an affair. So their marriage was dissolved. Now, he's coming, he's counseling with me. And as I'm talking to him, I hear this anger. And I'm thinking, you know, the issue's not his wife. The issue's this anger. And so I start pressing into his memories a little bit. And just to talk to him, just, I'm not trying to dig, but man, it didn't take much. And he reveals his dad. He says, my dad was... Horrible, man. 
He'd take me and my brother out to the tree, tie us up on that tree, and beat us mercilessly. Would just beat us and beat us until we, our heads drooped. We couldn't even hold our heads up. He'd beat us with these rubber hoses. And as he's talking, I'm watching this guy. And now, this is why pastors have big desks between them and other people. <laughs> I'm watching him. He's a pretty big old boy. I'm thinking, okay, slide the chair back. <laughs> Be ready. You know, because I, I, I mean, anger is swelling up in this guy. He's got all kind of pent up emotions within him. He's, I mean, he's like a, a dynamite. He's so explosive. And, and his dad wasn't there. Come to find out his dad had long been dead. But these emotions were still there. His life was still there. And, 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 and I asked him if he would verbalize what he was feeling because he was just shaken. I said, I want you to verbalize it. He got so worked up with just me asking that. He's uncontrollably crying now. He's beating on the desk. He's beating his head on the desk. And, and, and he's saying things that I can't say in church other than he was getting the screws put to him. He was exhausted, exhausted. He couldn't beat his head no more. And finally, I said, can we pray together? Can we pray, pray to prayer? Holy Spirit, will you now show me how I need to view my father? I've been looking at him this way all these years. Holy Spirit, help me look at him the way you look at him. And all of a sudden, man, I want to tell you, I saw a countenance change almost like a demonic deliverance. And I said, what, what's the Holy Spirit showing you? And he said, the Holy Spirit showed me my father as a baby. I saw my father as a baby. And I said, what's that mean to you? He says, that means to me that my dad didn't have the ability to take care of us because he was also bruised and wounded. And he said, something inside me is shifting. And, and, and uh, listen to me carefully. It does not make what happened to him right. It doesn't make it right. But somehow at that moment, God helped him step into his father's shoes and he saw his dad through God's eyes of compassion. He saw his dad through God's eyes of mercy and he felt compassion for his dad. And it was at that moment he was finally able to reveal his heart, open himself up and give himself and found a place for forgiveness from his heart. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He suddenly realized, my dad did not steal my future. I made a choice that stole my future. I chose justice rather than mercy. Your, your ex can't steal your future. Your job, your, your bankruptcy, your, your failures, they're not choosing your, your future. You're choosing your future. Your God's big enough to replace anything and cause blessing to come back. No one can steal your destiny, only you can give it up. I want you to hear this. So, so that person that's done you wrong, listen, they cannot steal from you your future with hope. This man had hope now. I understand my dad. And suddenly when you get hope, your faith kicks into gear. Amen. And faith began to work. And faith reattached him to his dreams. Faith reattached him to his destiny. And that young man ended up being a great man with a beautiful wife and children in the future as well. And, and, and ended up a great leader in a great business, a great corporation, a big one. Big one, like, like Pepsi Big. Okay, and he's a friend, and I've known him for a while now. And this guy's a wonderful guy, but it all come out of this pain 
pain was, was extracting and taking away from him his life. Joseph never lost hope because he didn't look for justice. He looked for mercy. You, when you're looking to find mercy, when you're looking to find something you can bring mercy and blessing to those that have done you wrong, you're going to find your hope will come back. Hope is an ability to see the future in a new and a fresh light. But if, you, if, you, if you, all you want to do is get justice and judgment, it, it, it kills hope. Am I making sense today? Put this on the screen. Where hope is present, faith is active. Where hope is present, faith is active. Right? When you lose hope, you've t you, you forget about your dreams. Amen. Bob again. <laughs> Bob has invited me to go fishing. He's told me the fish are biting. They're about 20 inches long. They're beautiful. They're biting. You'll get, your, you'll get a whole bunch of them. Within an hour, we'll fish out. Whew, I'm ready, man. I got my stuff on. I'm ready to go. I got all my fishing gear, my new lures, everything. I'm in. I get in the boat. We get out there, and we sit from morning till night in the hot sun in his boat. Not one bite. Now, Bob tells me, okay, we're going to catch. I ain't going Bob out there no more. I'm done with Bob. I have faith to try it no more. And some of you. Mm -hmm. When hope is present, your faith comes in. Okay, choose to believe. Choose. Here's your choices. Our God's a God of redemption. He had mercy on me. Choose to know that your God redeemed. Choose to believe and know and serve a God that wants reconciliation. Can be. Remember that parable I told you about the guy that owned a billion dollars and the guy that owned tennis. He could not get his focus on mercy. He received mercy, but he wouldn't be a dispenser of mercy. So I'm asking you. Will you be a dispenser of mercy? Will you forgive? Now, some of you forgive for a little while, and you feel okay until something triggers that pain again. This is a choice. That pain will trigger because you have a memory. God gave you a memory so you don't burn your fingers on the fireplace. You remember, that's hot. Ow. So you're going to have memories. It's not going to go away. But he's going to heal those memories, help those memories, so it doesn't make you react each time. At first, you're going to react, but you're going to make a choice. Even though my wounds are bleeding, I choose to have mercy. Are you with me? Joseph is our pattern. Mercy, compassion, hope, faith. Absalom is our warning. Bitterness, judgment, and another king. No matter what you do, you get the choice if you're going to forgive from which heart, which heart. Sometimes this process I'm talking, it's a process. It's a process, especially for women. And I'm not being ugly here. Just women are more attached emotionally. They're attached a little bit differently. It's a process. And sometimes this happens really fast. Sometimes it's six months. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time. But no matter what it takes, it's worth it. It's worth it. Can we pray? Can I get some musicians to help me? Just bow your heads here. We are um, still trying to be respectful with all the pandemic things, so I'm not usually having the altar calls like I would like to do, but we can still pray and we can still acknowledge. Holy Spirit, show us how you feel and how we should feel about that other person. Show us how you feel about them. Not how we're feeling. Show us how we should feel by seeing how you feel.
Show us your compassion, your redemption. Show us your restoration. Show us your heart. And then, Lord, help us be honest. Help us to reconcile. Bring our hearts into alignment with with you, God, even during the middle of our pain. Help us to align our hearts with you. Show us how you're looking at them, Father. Show us how you feel about them. Now, Lord, I'm asking you today to release grace into this room. There are people in this room, Lord, you showed it to me earlier in this week, that are stuck in their lives because they've resigned themselves to live in the pain. And they walk around, they walk around biting everybody. They bite at people. So we choose, Lord, to give our lives to mercy. Can everybody say amen? Lord, remove bitterness. Say that with me. Lord, restore hope. Lord, give new hope and new dreams and strength to walk in freedom. Lord, cut through all of our needs for judgment and all of our ideas about justice. Fill us with compassion. Fill us with mercy. Remove the resentments. Allow grace to empower us and give us the power to press into love. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, these are the things that I pray for this great church and everybody here today. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed just for a moment, sometimes the power to forgive, the hope, the faith that's necessary is not found within our own beings. We have to have the Holy Spirit help us. We have to have God's help. Sometimes it's so cruel and so ugly, the things that have happened. Without the Holy Spirit, we just we couldn't reconcile it. It'd be too much for the human. The human personality can't reconcile some of these things. Maybe you're today have never asked Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. Without that, you're pretty much on your own, and sometimes it's just not enough. You really need God. You know that. That's why you came to church today. God, speak into your heart. You just need to ask God to forgive you for your resentment, your actions of rebellion against him, that you've been with another king instead of him, that you've ran away, you've disconnected from God, from church, from the Holy Spirit. You've disconnected. You've ran away. And you say, God, forgive me. You're coming now in an act of mercy and hope. And you're saying, God, forgive me. And if you'll do that, I promise you of a great compassionate God that will wash your sins as far as the east is from the west and will take you and pull you close to him and reveal himself to you in ways you never dreamed and and understandings you've never had before. Pastor Ray, I want to ask him to forgive me. I've done some horrible wrongs against God. I have not been in his kingdom. I've been in some other kingdom's kingdom. God, forgive me. If that's your request, I want you to lift your hand up high and set it back down just so I can pray for you. Hands are going up all over the room. Literally all over the room. Amen. Look at me. We all face this stuff, man. Okay, I'm not trying to be Mr. Sentimental here today. I'm telling you the truth. These are real battles, and they really hurt. And I sit on the other side of the desk. 
And I've heard some of the most atrocious things that you can't even believe people would do to other people. Horrific, unbelievable things to their own children, their own family, their lives. It's just unbelievable. And then they sit at my desk. I had a young man that, excuse this, but he pooped in a box, wrapped it up for Christmas and sent it to his mother when he figured out who she was. He'd sold her off, he sold him off as a child. That guy ended up being my assistant pastor, later on pastoring a church in Monterey Park, California. But it took forgiveness. It took the ability to get past some of that. He got hurt bad. I mean, it was horrible what happened in his life. Horrible. Beyond, beyond horror. His mother died of AIDS as a prostitute downtown L.A. on the street. Rough life, buddy. We've had it, most of us have had it as a piece of cake compared to some of these other people. But it doesn't matter. I'm not comparing. It hurts the same. It hurts the same. So here's what I want you to remember. You get a choice. All of you get a choice. Mercy or judgment? Do you want justice or do you want mercy? That's your choice. And if it's going to be mercy, you're probably going to have to train yourself how to talk about it. Because all your life you've probably been doing justice and judgment. You've been talking that language. It's a new language. You have to figure out how to even put it together in your mind. How you can say something nice about somebody that's so horrible. How do you do that? They've hurt you so bad. And they'll continue to hurt you every chance they get. How do you speak honorably to these people? Listen, honor's not something they deserve. It's something you give. Honor's in you or it's not in you. Respect is something they deserve for something they do. We're not talking about respect. We're talking about honor. Honor comes from you. How do I speak with honor? How do I speak with mercy to people that are still violating me and will every time they get a chance? How do I do that? God, help me to know how to do that because that's what stops the torment in your life and that's what releases you to your destiny. Does that make sense to everybody? Amen. Deep, deep message today. I promise to lighten it next week. Maybe. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm promising. I'm going to promise. I'm gonna... Amen. I won't be here next week. <laughs> so I'm going to go get somebody else. No. <laughs> Amen. Just so you know, the reason I'm not here next week is months ago we, we set into motion the exchange of a pastor out in Pennsylvania and then we're bringing a pastor from there back to Arizona I oversee all these guys there'll be a lot of pastors there and I just need to show up and pray I need to be there for that service and so we're going to go do that uh, we've got a couple of things we have to do this month that we're try to not miss services as much as possible I got a, another pastor that's getting married he'd like for me to do it he wants to get married on the same day I got married he's a nice guy amen so I'm going to fly over there and marry him. <laughs> That's going to be fun. I'm going to warn his wife. I'm warn her. said, watch him. Mercy. <laughs> Amen. So bear with us as we go through this season. We're still trying to find our way and fill our way. Hopefully by January we'll have a really strong system, and I'll get you guys plugged in to where you know how you fit and where we can go together as a church. Amen. God's going to do some great things. Would you stand with us today? Stand with us. And let me just pray with you one more time, and then let's sing a song of worship, and then we'll consider ourselves dismissed. Now remember, we want you to love on somebody today. If you're mad at somebody, pray first. Get it right in your spirit, so that next time you confront them, you can, you can deal with that. Is that all right? Is that all right? It's, it's real. It's real. It's tough. Especially with exes and bankruptcies and financial things where people burned you. Hurts. So Father, right now, you saw every uplifted hand in this room. 
You see the wounds and the pain and the struggles within these lives. Many of these lives, Lord, don't even understand how affected they are because of their spirit of judgment and justice. They think that they deserve a certain behavior towards them and they've demanded it and if they don't get it, they have a spirit of justice that demands from others things that's not there. So Father, because of that, their lives are experiencing a a lack of prosperity, a lack of abundance, a lack of hearing from the Holy Spirit, a lack of the favor of God, a lack of hope, a a a a lack of new dreams. And yet here they are, Lord, in your church, your people. So, Father, I pray today, let this message resonate in their hearts. Let them be healed in Jesus' name. Begin a healing process that we will learn, that we choose how we're going to navigate this life, and the Holy Spirit is the guide of our life, not a pain, not a wound, not a struggle, not a past. We, We release that past in mercy, and we move towards the faith and the hope and the future that you have for us. I pray the richest blessings on everyone in this room. I pray every wounded heart to find the salve and the oil of the Holy Spirit massaging away the pain even this day. I pray, Lord, that you'll release abundance and prosperity in lives, in businesses. I pray, Father, today that joy would be the strength of your people, that they would find a great time In Jesus' name, all afternoon, all this week, that they would enter into the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, joy doesn't mean a big cheesy smile, but it means something inside. You know why God said never, God never commanded you to be happy. You know why? Because you could be unhappy. God commanded you to have joy because there's no such thing as unjoy. See? So let's press into the things of God. It always works better. Amen? Amen. It really does. So I want you to go out and have great joy this week. And and, and if you really want to just really feel an exuberant joy today, let's pray that the Steelers lose. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I have somebody listening to me on, online that needed to hear that. <laughs> they haven't lost yet, them guys. Talk on it. Amen. We love you guys. We appreciate you. Come on, sing a song on medley.